Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to episode 155 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings and 10 years ago I gave up my live streaming career as a radio presenter with one big regret. Never getting to interview my hero, the legendary singer, songwriter and musician, Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. And on this episode of the podcast, I am joined by another hugely talented individual in the world of music, engineer, producer, mixer, editor, Fiona Cruikshank is my very special guest. One of the few people to feature on this series who is involved in more music releases each year than Mr. Weller. She's been working in studios for over a decade now. She's more in demand than ever before, even getting a well-deserved double win at the 2022 Music Producer Guild Awards for Recording Engineer of the Year and Breakthrough Producer of the Year. Her portfolio is ridiculous. We're talking film, performance arts, music, TV. Even just in the last year or so, we're talking things like Netflix, I Used to Be Famous, the award-winning Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, The Whale with Brendan Fraser, for goodness sake. She's also engineered on records by Ellie Goulding, Isabel Waller-Bridge, Johnny Depp, Jeff Beck, The Anchoress and has collaborated with two other Weller Connections who have featured on this podcast. We're talking Dot Allison and Hannah Peel, and more on that to come in this episode of the podcast. From a Weller perspective, we're going to dig into stories of engineering the strings at the magnificent church studios for On Sunset and Fat Pop in recent years. Two cracking number one albums. You're going to love this episode. Let's get into it. Fiona Cruikshank, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to this because you have done so much in such a short period of time, really, you know, creating stunning music, a massive variety of projects, like so many diverse different things that you pick up. And another one of the connections that we're talking to around Mr. Weller, who you you can't pigeonhole you, you can't put you into a particular genre or a a box, can you? Because there's so much that you do. (laughs) Which I love. Maybe that's uh... Yeah, maybe that's what he goes for. <laughs> in collaborators. <laughs> I like it because, I mean, we're talking pop music. We will talk about Mr. Weller in a bit, obviously, but jazz, yeah. classical, rock, all of it. Have you got a favourite type of music that you like to listen to? I mean, not really. That's why I'm so greedy in, in my work. 
<laughs> the variety of it keeps it really exciting. And it also then becomes a sort of professional challenge, always working out, you know, how best to record something or different types of mixing from very classical, straight orchestral stuff to more poppy or electronic or processed things. Or, you know, I just like to challenge myself, basically. They all take different techniques, obviously, don't they? In the, in the recording process, it's not a one size fits all and you just plug stuff in and off you go. You have to, if studios no, need exactly. setting up in different ways, the production is doing in different ways, of course, right? Yeah, absolutely. So each, each project is uh, a sort of fun planning exercise, apart from anything else, talking with the client or producer or, you know, thinking about it myself in terms of what the sort of goal sound wise is. And then, yeah, working out your sort of technical setup from that. Now we'll talk about the differences in roles because there are so many different roles that you play in the studio and have played in the studio. Mm. So many right, properly exciting projects, people. And we're talking about like the world's best producers, best engineers, best musicians that you're working with, singers, songwriters, film and TV scores. I mean, classical albums I mentioned. There are things like Nyuk Aladdin, the Grand Budapest Hotel, Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> I'm just naming some of these projects so that people will realize like how important you are. But also <laughs> Wonder Woman being another one, which, and I've heard this is a bit of a nickname of how people you describe you. Have you heard this? <laughs> it uh, feels that way. No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is something that you always wanted to do, even like as a kid, this was a world that you wanted to enter, to enter into music production, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was really lucky because when I was a kid, I had piano lessons and my teacher I think we were doing like a big concert at the end of the year for all the, you know, piano pupils and we did it live and he was recording it live, but someone was also doing sound. And I remember being really interested in the desk and what was going on there kind of thing. And I must have been like 12, maybe. And I think he sort of spotted that and then started to sort of give me little tips here and there, little bits of info. And it grew from there, really. And then I started reading Sound on Sound and like obsessing over every sort of album cover and seeing where things were recorded and who did what. And and yeah, by 13, I was like, this is it. This is what I'm doing. Isn't that How brilliant? Though? Isn't that brilliant? Yeah. I mean, that was me with radio. That was the thing that I loved and just listened to radio all the time. And I was like, gotta do that. That looks like a brilliant job. I want to be Chris Evans. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and often you need the guidance of somebody to like a mentor to help you through that. And that would have been your teacher you mentioned there. Was it David Goodman? Is that right? David Goodman. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He was so supportive. He also plays in a band. And so the first, one of the first things he did was to get me to sort of go to their rehearsals and help him record those rehearsals so he had a desk and a, a computer set up it was digital performer though which is i haven't been using too much since <laughs> i've not even <laughs> but, heard um, of that one no <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it was a good sort of in in understanding and then he started teaching me about signal flow and acoustics and all sorts of things really and and he was the one that spotted this sound recording university course that i ended up doing because i didn't know anyone in the industry at all and we just couldn't see how you get from a small town to London and into a studio. You know, I just couldn't work out how I'd be able to do that. And I guess as well, my parents were a bit worried about me, like wandering around the studios with my CV and as a girl, I don't know, they were quite protective. Maybe. Well, Cause it was a very, I mean, it still is a very male dominated industry, but certainly like even more yeah. so what over 10 years ago now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. And, and in all these sort of magazines that I was obsessing over, I don't really remember seeing many women and there obviously were some out there and especially in America but at the time I had pictures of blokes at desks up on my wall <laughs> like that's the job I'm gonna do <laughs> I love that like some people yeah. have like proper pinups and whatever and it, like you've got yeah, the studio exactly. engineers and the I've producers got dudes, dudes and desks <laughs> 
That's wonderful. <laughs> so was it University of Surrey that you went to? Was that right for the course? Yes. Yeah, okay. I went to the University of Surrey because they um, have a placement year uh, in the industry and contacts with studios like Air and Abbey Road and the BBC. And for me, that was such a huge deal, the opportunity to to make those contacts and, and meet people. And also because I have a classical kind of music background. I played the oboe and I sang. Most of the courses that were around at that time were more apart from the Tom Martin, were very sort of band focused, like how to produce and record your own band, which would have been great, but I had just sort of learned the wrong instrument. <laughs> yes. <Yeah, laughs> so I went for another. Oboes on top of the pops. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> I went no. to a course and I had to do a, an audition on the oboe and I had to play pop or jazz. So I ended up doing like a jazz piece on the oboe and the, the guys that ran the course were just like, well, we've never seen that before. <laughs> I thought, maybe this isn't the place for me. Have you ever played on anything that has been released? So when you're, or have you kind of, did you cuss off that from there and just go, that's, that's no. my own private home use and that's yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. It's really funny because sometimes my friends or colleagues do sort of encourage me to have a go. <laughs> but I just haven't played in so long. I'm, I'm dreadful. The oboe is not something that sounds that nice if you're not practicing it. <laughs> And uh, I just don't have time now. I'm too busy with people that are really good at their instruments. <laughs> yeah. It's also I mean, it's a big old instrument there as well, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think that if I played it in my flat, people might get annoyed. It's quite loud. <laughs> so let's talk about Air Studios because, and I want to talk about studios in general, actually, because mm. Paul Weller's obviously got Black Barn. You know, you've worked at Air Studios, the church, Abbey Road. You know, we'll talk about the church a bit more in a second as well. But yeah, they all have some sort of magic that makes them unique, which sounds ridiculous because they're just buildings. But they, that's true, right? Oh, absolutely true yes obviously the acoustic uh also the equipment and and the people of course make a huge difference what is it that makes an abbey road sp- i mean obviously the you know the beatles kind of seeps into the walls i guess to a certain extent but that makes and so you spent so long at air studios like what 10 years at air studio and you still use that as a studio yeah. now what is it that's in the dna that makes those things so special when you record an abbey either if you're recording like an orchestra in Studio One, or especially if you're doing a band, of course, in Studio Two, as soon as a drummer starts playing, it sounds like all your favourite records and everything you've grown up on, in my case, you know. So it does have that magic of like, oh my God, that's that's it. That's the sound. You are there as a fan and watching some of this yeah. stuff and just being blown away by it, I would imagine. But you've also got a job to do, obviously. So you can't get too yes. carried away of being you're kind of drifting off at how lovely the sound is, can you? No, exactly. And actually, that's quite funny because I see it happen sometimes with composers that haven't been in big spaces like that before, especially, and they'll sit next to me and the take will go down and then they'll just go, wow. You're like, cool. So like any changes? And they're just like, what? (laughs) They're just so blown away by the whole experience and like how amazing professional musicians in London, you know, they can get, you know, 95% of the way there in the first take. In the first read, they've never seen this music before, they're sight reading and they just play it so amazingly well. And the composer's hearing this thing that they've had on samples for ages played by humans in this amazing space. And then they're just like really overwhelmed sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't listening properly. What happened? Yeah. They're like, I don't know. Sorry. And I'd be like, okay, but you know, let's do another or can we fix this? and the other so yeah i have to be a bit more <laughs> less of a fangirl but it's it's still very special it feels to me that you feel at home all, all the pictures i see on instagram are you in the studio you know you feel really at home that's a kind of safe space i guess absolutely yeah yeah it's funny to say that i do i do feel like that is my happy place like i am my sort of best self when i'm collaborating like that with with people and, and making music in a studio I mean, I like mixing as well, but it's now a more solitary act, especially since COVID. I think a lot of us 
work remotely and mm. composers listen in their own rooms. And yeah, that's something so special about recording and the way that you can make changes and help and improve and produce things. Now I see pictures of you and it, it brings me back to my radio days where we used to have this massive Mark II desk when I worked at the BBC in Bristol, right? To me, it was massive. This is what I'm going to come on to, right? And I still have <laughs> recurring nightmares about this bloody great desk and these knobs and these faders. And I haven't done a radio show for like 15 years doing this. And I still have these nightmares about pressing the wrong button and not queuing up things. And this was a big old desk, but my God, the things that you work on must be about at least 10 times as big as these things. I mean, they're huge. <laughs> Just, but it's all the same, isn't it? How it's just the same thing things? repeated loads of times. I suppose. <laughs> Once you've got one channel, you can do 96 of them. Yeah, but there's only so, your arms only stretch so far. <laughs> That is quite funny because sometimes between takes, say someone will make a request for a change on the headphones or you'll be trying to change games, especially at the start of the session. And, you know, the conductor will be like, right, great, here we go again. And I'm like, hang on, I can't physically get from that end to the test to make that change to the, you know, I'm still running around. Give me a second. Can't stretch that far. Yeah. It does come into play sometimes. <laughs> and let's talk about the church studio and we'll talk about Mr. Weller in a set, but this is somewhere you've worked quite a bit. And again, there's so many differences to these studios as well. They have something unique that's not just that DNA thing that I talked about. The church obviously is an old church, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's got that just gorgeous warmth to it. That's the only way I can explain it, really. It's a sort of medium length, you know, it's not too long a reverb, but it just kind of, I don't know. Gives everything like this gorgeous tone, even on the close mics, let alone the, you know, lovely sort of perspective you can get from room mics in there. And presumably at some point, somebody went, this would be really good to turn this into a studio or to use this as a studio space. Because it wasn't, that's not the intention, right? Initially, it wasn't designed <laughs> no, as exactly. that. No, and that's a good point, actually. I'd have to look it up because I think it was, was it the Eurythmics that turned it into a oh, was studio it? first? I don't know that. I should okay. Google it. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's like that thing of yeah. um, then the, the studio becomes as much a kind of part of the album. And you, you see this with Paul's career where, you know, he's yeah. recorded The Manor in Oxfordshire or Black Barn now, which is like Paul mm. Weller HQ or, you know, Solid Bond down at Marble Arch. It becomes such an important part of the mix and, and such an important part of these residential studios, particularly where you can kind of camp yes. over your stay and spend the week, weeks and weeks there. Yeah. And then they're like another band member, aren't they? As you said, yeah. they become such a part of the sonic imprint of it you know with dot's album we work a lot at a studio called castle sand and i really feel like castle sand is part of her sound now <laughs> yeah it's funny isn't it because you're talking mm. about buildings and i hope this is coming through in terms of what we're talking about but it is that flavor and paul's talks about it as well that kind of special thing about the fact that you can go into the studio in the morning you've got nothing and then you're coming out at the yes. end of it with a physical thing which still must be so exciting right yeah absolutely I love how sort of different the same space can be with different groups of people. I find that so fascinating. Let's talk about some of the recordings. So um, mm. I'm going to bucket these up a little bit. So film soundtracks I wanted to talk to you about, first mm -hmm. of all. I mean, honestly, the list is massive, so we're not going to get through all of them on the podcast. But things like How to Train a Dragon, Black Swan, Thor, Les Mis, Wonder Woman I mentioned, Murder on the Orient Express. These are all so different. How do they come about? How do you get, I mean, obviously it's not the same for everything now. And now that you're a freelance versus working for air permanently, yes. but how were, how were the briefs come in? How would you get assigned to a job? In those days, I was um, an assistant engineer at air. And so I would be assigned that there's a group of in-house assistants, both at air and Abbey. And I suppose you get assigned partly on sort of the Tetris of the diary and who's free at what time, but also you get to make requests on composers that you like and people that you want to 
work with and engineers that you want to work with and learn from. So with all those films, there was a bit of me going, shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> I want to work on that, please. You know, I'm, I'm a fan of that composer or I uh, like their work and I want to see how they do it. Isn't that brilliant that, that you're... That's an opportunity. Yeah, it's incredible. And so How to Train Your Dragon was in my first year at AIR. And I can still so vividly remember certain days on that project and what my favourite cue was called and all that kind of thing. And it does stick with you. And obviously this time we'll talk about COVID and the impacts of kind of recording around COVID in a bit as well, because it kind of links to Fat Pop and, you know, how Paul created mm. that album. And but you're there with a full orchestra in, in the studio on these, these big film soundtracks. This, the sound of them is so incredible, isn't it? The amount of musicians involved in these projects is huge. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, there'll probably be an 80 piece orchestra, 90 piece orchestra, something like that. And quite often we now for films, especially they need a bit more control in the final mix and the director still wants to be able to sort of balance things so you have to record in stem so you might do strings on their own and then woodwind on their own and then brass on their own so you see these films that are coming out now like mission impossible and they've got you know a hundred strings and then they've got 30 brass and then you know more musicians than you could physically fit in a room yeah. at the same time but because they're recording everything separately like that they can have I don't know, 40 bongos. I can't remember how many Lorne did, but it was a ridiculous amount of percussion, you know, and it's just how many people <laughs> can we layer on top? <laughs> and you're building up in the mix and that. And I think that's what uh, Yeah, and you're building up in the mix. And we'll talk about the studio roles in a bit as well in terms of you've covered mm. all of those aspects of, kind of from the recording to the engineering to the, to the layering, like the mixing, everything there as well. Um, so who were those, what, were there particular highlights in terms of the people that you really wanted to work with that you then got the gig on in terms of film composers? Yeah, when I was assisting, I... Um, um, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna upset people now, aren't I? <laughs> when I <was laughs> Should I rephrase that question? <laughs> I really wanted to work with when I first started to air, um, Dario Marianelli oh. and also Alberto Iglesias. So two European composers that I think both have like incredible relationships or did with directors. So Dario worked for a long time with Joe Wright and did Atonement and a lot of his films. And they just had such a good kind of communication. I don't know. It felt like his score was such a key part of Joe's filmmaking on those things that they did together. And I was, yeah, a big fan, both musically and just to see how that all worked. Because when I first started, I had no idea how film scoring worked and how much goes into it. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, presumably you're not seeing, as you're creating a recording, you're not seeing the film at the same time. It's being Yeah, you do. Oh, you do. Okay. Yeah. So that's the, that's the nice thing now that we, we are watching the picture. Don't normally get it in advance. So you watch it as you record and therefore you see sort of chunks of it and not necessarily in the right order. <laughs> you quite often see the big important scenes. So you'll go from the beginning to the end and then be like, Oh, right. Okay. Spoiler. <laughs> um, but that's how you sort of help the composer to produce their score because you're watching it down and thinking, oh, okay, actually that brass seems too loud now. It, you know, makes you feel the wrong thing as we're watching it. So let's get them to play quiet or, you know, everything you're doing is reacting emotionally to picture sort of as you're working. Wow. What an amazing process. That's incredible. Yeah. Which is really cool. So you, yeah, getting to the mix and seeing how it all fits together. We always mix as well with dialogue and effects. So the idea is that by, I, I mix the music first and then I, bring in the dialogue and effects and make sure that it works underneath it and kind of balance things so that when they get to the final mix in the dub, they don't have to do a whole lot of work to make a thing play. You know what I mean? They can yeah. just slot it in and hopefully listen. And they will, of course, ride it and everything, but there's nothing that's going to stick out or 
annoy anyone hopefully too much wow what an amazing process i love that so dario you mentioned there was it anna anna karenia was that the first one you yeah anna karenia yes yeah. yeah which i think hannah pill is part of that soundtrack i don't know if you know this being, being a oh i didn't know work. that yeah um <gasps> yeah she's part of that soundtrack as well she has to go back and find those find those stems and see if you can find hannah <laughs> that's amazing it's so nice how these things happen like before before you meet. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk more about Hannah in a second, because obviously, you know, huge, mm. big key thing. But let me talk about, and we'll come back to the studio roles, but let me talk about, you mentioned Dot Allison. So we've got this here. Oh, check it out. Heart-shaped scars, which is on, I'm just going to check. I think this is beautiful green. Yeah, it is. The, the green vinyl. Look at oh, that. Oh, you got the green one. Lovely. Beautiful. Beautiful. What a lovely album. Dot's been on the podcast. And this was, even though Hannah Peel was involved in this album and Hannah had been yes. involved with Mr. Weller and True Meanings and all that by this point, your work with Dot was pre-Paul Weller. So when you worked with Dot, you hadn't yet worked with Paul. No, what order was it? Maybe I started with Dot because that album was another COVID, you know, it stretched over a long time because COVID happened in between. Because I met Hannah first on with Paul. And then when Dot was looking for arrangers, I was like... Hannah Peel. And she was like, oh, Paul has also suggested Hannah, surprisingly. <laughs> and then we all came together kind of thing. Um, oh, cool. Okay. Well, let's talk about these three albums. So I've got here Dot's album. We'll talk on Sunset and we'll talk Fat Pop. Okay. So um, mm. I mentioned to Dot that you were coming on the podcast and she said, I'll read this to you. She said, how lovely. Fee is a legend in all ways. Amazing what she does. And a very, very lovely human to be with any moment that is a pressure cooker studio situation. I love Fee, she said. <laughs> That's so nice, isn't it? <laughs> and I asked how you got, how you got to work together, and, and she said it was a, a recommendation from a mutual friend. Yeah, exactly. And I'll read the rest of it too, because it's nice. It's always nice to hear how, how uh, people think about you, right? She said, they thought she was one of the best engineer mixers, and at that point, I only knew Fee as a recording engineer and mixer, but I asked her if she'd be up for co-producing with me too on Scars. She said yes. Then we hit it off, and I sent a few links of music as a sort of sonic mood board with the kind of sonic image I like, and we shared that vision, which was great. You're getting this brief, you're getting this and you're just finding that you have a connection i guess as, as people who love music create music yeah exactly and that um it's one of those tricky things because the word producer means so many different things right and i was like what kind of producer do you want do you want someone that's gonna help with the sonic palette and kind of getting the sound you want and the for us it was all about warmth and space and dot and i both loved like that acoustic thing and or do you want a producer that like programs beats and writes lines on synths and you know that's that's not me so there's always that conversation at the first bit what type of producer are you looking yeah. for am i well, the right or, or some producers type? are like they, they're the ones getting telling you to get this shit done and get it on time you know cracking the whip oh, yeah. in a way as well aren't they so is yeah, it that type exactly of producer? yeah and dots sort of lucky special i don't know what the word is in that um she's able to run that herself to decide when she wants things done and then so that's nice. Uh, I mean, I like having a deadline, but I never have to be the one with her saying, you've got to get this done now because we create those deadlines ourselves. <laughs> and it's such a wonderful, I mean, it can only be Dot Allison the album. It's such a wonderful, unique sound. And that is that sonic palette, the, the, you know, the acoustics and where she's gone and recorded these film recordings and turned them into music. And it's a lovely comeback yeah. LP, wasn't it? But um, had yeah. you know much about her before that point then? Not really. I'd heard, you know, a couple of things with One Dove. And then I, I sort of, yeah, had to do a deep dive when we first were connected. Because she hadn't been working for 10 years, you know, and yeah. Let's talk Paul Weller. Presumably a fan before you got to work with him, were you? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think Paul is the, possibly the only person that has ever impressed my family. <laughs> <laughs> Because in my any dad's way, a big shape, fan. or form, any part of life. Yeah, so we, 
exactly yeah exactly that it's just you know like dad guess what I'm working with Wella. And he was like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> finally something that has enough kudos. Oh, what, the CV hadn't <laughs> been peak, impressive enough to... Yeah, to pique my parents' interest, because they're normally just like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> uh, oh, do you like that person? Oh, good. Okay. You know, but then this was one that was like, whoa, really? You know. <laughs> so just, thank you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me how this came about. Um, presumably it was an intro from Hannah Peel, some kind of connection there, I would guess. No, so that's the funny thing because we hadn't met at that point, and it was so it was the church. It was the wonderful people at the church who got me in on this. I think the gig had come to them, and I had done some string stuff there before that point, and really enjoyed it. I guess obviously I'm just at home in churches, you know, <laughs> in churches and on Neve desks, you know, happy. So I'd really got on with everyone there and really enjoyed it, and I think I'd made some good recordings, and they're in-house engineer at the time was maybe not so confident on strings or orchestral stuff and so when the job came in they called me and said would you be interested in this we'll introduce you to Paul's producer and you can have a chat and see if you get on and you know and so that's how it, it came about right okay wow so the studio first and it's interesting isn't it because he's got his yeah. own studio obviously i mean not big enough for a big old string section and stuff but there are other studios so do you know yeah. why he picked the church i don't i mean it is such a good size for that size of orchestra and also they wanted a sort of big cinematic sound they also wanted a sort of retro vibe and they wanted the choice to be tight if they needed to be you know in sort of how you recorded it closeness but also room and space and have options and so for that i think it is an amazing choice of room so this is on sunset this is the album came out um 2020 came out during covid although not recorded during covid um yes. and string arrangements from hannah like we mentioned uh, so you as engineer and let's talk about these these differences in roles and we've talked about you co-producing with dot allison we mentioned keaton henson engineering mm. is a is a very different technique obviously very different skills that you're using in a way um so what was the job what did you have to do to, to make that work so in this instance it was stan saying the sound we would like is this. We want retro, we want lush, we want cinematic kind of thing. And so then my role was to go, okay, which microphones would I choose to give them that sound? And having room options and then close mics and putting up ribbons to kind of get a, a more warmth and an old school kind of vibe. And then using the plate, the church. So my role then was sort of like more technical, creative I had no involvement in the songs, if that makes sense. Yeah. And how are you doing that? Just obviously there's bags of experience now. Are you testing things? And so like when you say about the ribbons and stuff, you're testing things. Going, okay, no, that doesn't quite work. That works. Or is it just that you, you know, you know that space so well, yeah. you know what's going to work? Or? Yeah, exactly. I guess it's the experience of the mics, knowing what they sound like and how they will work together, you know. So it's kind of like EQing with microphones. Quite often I'll put out some ribbons and something a lot brighter and then you can fade between them to get, the amount of warmth that you want or the amount of sort of definition and it's experience with the mics and then knowing that space but also instinct i guess and how much are you having to get there in advance from mr weller and stan and all that and the, and the orchestra to set all this up probably three or four hours so we set it up plug it in build our pro tools template and then do a line check and make sure everything's working and you put the mics up and this is the funny thing as well in orchestral sessions the the musicians are on the clock and it's very strict they're unionized so they have a three-hour session, say, with a 15-minute break. And then as soon as that second hand goes, they're out of there. You don't have a lot of time to mess about. 
<laughs> or to experiment. So you kind of have to do your best guess and then you have maybe tops three or four minutes for tweaking and then you're off. Bloody hell. <laughs> the, the experience of obviously having assisted at air, watched lots of people do it in lots of different ways and then myself starting to engineer, trying different things and learning and, and then getting a, a good sort of gut instinct for it because you've not... I did hear demos, but you don't know quite how it's going to sound in the room until it happens to you. So, Isn't it brilliant, though, that we're this far into creating music as human beings and and studio music, recorded music, you know, what's that, 60 plus years now mm. in, ter- in terms of popular music, if you like. And, um, and the, but they were still finding new ways to do it and we're still testing and learning and all that kind of stuff. Isn't that remarkable? Yeah, exactly. That's what's so exciting. There isn't a one size fits all, or to me, there isn't. I love that, you know, the changing it every time and making it specific to that project is what makes it really exciting. Yeah. And there's no like right or wrong. People can't tell you, go, no, that's no. not how you, yeah. We always do it like this. Like, no, 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 we don't. I love that. It's so exactly. fascinating, isn't it? Um, so this is yeah. para, para Orchestra as well. And uh, they've been mentioned yeah. on the podcast before. In fact, Hannah created a, um, a number one classical album with them in, um, after this project as well. And then this amazing mm. integrated orchestra of professional, disabled, non-disabled musicians. And I think I'm right in saying it's the first orchestra of its kind in the UK. We're a different orchestra to work with. Obviously, there are different challenges. I would guess in that setup. Yeah, I suppose you just have to be mindful of where people might need something extra, like maybe a bit more light if they're partially sighted or different headphone feeds so that they can have things a bit louder than other people, you know, like everyone records to clicks, say, and if they are maybe hearing impaired and the click's not loud enough, but then for everyone else, it would be painful you know so it's that sort of thing just being able to set up maybe a couple of things that can help people when we look at the album credits and um let me grab on the sunset because this is again this is such a beautiful thing and you get you get this and you see your credit in there and there's mention which must always be a buzz right must always be a kick but you see the name and then you don't know the amount of work that's going into creating these fabulous sounds it's fascinating this i love it can we talk yeah. about a few of the tracks i don't know where how much you remember about the specific tracks but there's a song called village which i absolutely love this is Mick Talbot on Hammond organ, Ben Gordelia from Wellens Band on drums and percussion. Um, and obviously they're not there with you at this moment in time, are they? This is all gets layered up no. later on, right? What are your memories of the creation of that track? Well, I think actually that we're normally one of the last things in the process, as in they've recorded the band already. So I've got sort of stems of, of those guys and they're playing and, and we're fitting around them, which means that there's you know, more room to sort of shape the strings to make sure that they work in the track and with the vocal and around all the other stuff. Not They haven't mixed it yet, so obviously they can make changes again afterwards, but it, it's, yeah, trying to make it all work in together. Oh, I can't remember how many tracks we did in a three-hour session. Was it four? But that's the other thing. For us, it's quite quick to get through a song like that. You maybe have 40 minutes to an hour. So in terms of sort of specifics, I don't really remember what we said about that track, but I remember sitting there with Stan and Paul and Hannah obviously was conducting the orchestra and they'd do a take and then we'd all make comments on how it could be played differently or dynamics or different sort of techniques and how, yeah, how to fit around that guitar line or, you know, could we put that up the octave so that it cuts through that sort of basey thing or you know those are the sort of chats that you have <laughs> but presumably they're not playing along with with the track if you know what i mean yeah. so, oh they are yes, okay they are yeah so while we're recording we are listening and everyone's on headphones and they're listening to the track 
as well as a bit of click just to help keep them in time and then themselves. It's hard with those headphones and, and especially string players um, usually monitor on just a single-sided headphone because their instrument is under their other ear, if you can imagine. So it's really hard to get all of that information about where you fit into a track on one ear. But they, they do have a bit of the picture and then we quite often do playbacks on the speakers so that everyone understands you know what they're kind of aiming for. What a thrilling experience, honestly. This is incredible. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And the thing is, we talked about you being you as a producer, here's you as an engineer, but Paul, certainly in recent years, has been self-producing more, working really close mm. with Stan as well, but he, he knows what he wants, I guess. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah. And so I guess the first time we worked together, having had this big chat on sound before and everything and, and me being a fan, obviously, as well. And then, you know, he's he's sitting there listening intently, arms folded on the desk. And I'm just like, oh, gosh, what's he going to There's that fear after the first take of, you know, are they going to are they going to like this? And what am I going to do if they don't? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, God. I don't like the microphones. Yeah. You're like, oh. Yeah. If <laughs> you're just like, I don't like the sound, you know. And uh, I think he just turned around and went, it's great fee. Like, and put his thumb up, you know, I was just like, whew, okay, <laughs> great, good. Cause I was like, I've got, you've got these options and we've done this, that and the other. And, you know, trying to talk to them sounds like, this is great. We could just use your live mix as in we'd found everything that we'd. And that's why having these conversations in advance is so important, I guess, to really understand what's in someone's head. But thankfully, yeah, they were happy, I guess. And then that's why we got to do it again. Yeah. When we talk about Fat Pop in a sec. So there are four tracks, you're right. Village on Sunset, so the title track, yeah. which also has the staves on backing vocals. And I know that you're a big fan of them, but I'm guessing they uh, weren't there, the obviously, staves. right? No, sadly not. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, that they should have done it live with the strings. That would have been great. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that have been good? Earthbeat was another one where we also have mm-hmm. Staves again, but we also have Coltrane and then Rockets, which is just an absolutely stunning album closer, yeah. I think, if I'm right. Is that the album finish? Yeah, it is the last track on the album, isn't it? Yeah. And there was an additional string arrangement from Andy Crofts on that. So I'm not sure if Andy was involved in the session down with you guys or whether it was just Hannah conducting on that one. I think it was just Hannah, but I confess. Okay. It blurs. But also, that, isn't it? I mean, isn't it remarkable that here we are? We're talking about Mr. Weller. This is a 30 plus year solo career. It's now, mm. what, 40? I'm trying to do the maths quickly. We had something like 45 years plus overall from the beginning of the jam and all that. And here we are with this on Sunset and it's the number one album and it's a remarkable piece of work. I mean, it's one of my favorite Weller albums. It's terrific. Yeah. The whole thing is just so gorgeous, isn't it? I love, I love the sound of it. My part was only a tiny bit in that, if you know what I mean. I'm not saying I love the sound that they have created and then to get to put like a tiny 
tiny bit of sprinkle on top. It's like such a dream. <laughs> what did your folks say when the album came out? Did they have a listen? Is it one in their collection? And were they like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, and I think just like with everyone, they're just like, oh my God, you know, A, he still sounds amazing. He's still writing great songs. Like it's in- incredible, isn't yeah. it? And he is the nicest man. I mean, I'm sure everyone says this. Well, yeah, I've yet but... to find anybody on the podcast who said that he's an arse, which is disappointing, really, because <laughs> yeah. need a bit of balance. I mean, if this was the BBC, we'd have no balance whatsoever on this, you know. <laughs> but, you know, not everyone has to be, especially if you're brought in just as an engineer for the day, like me. I don't expect anyone to be overly friendly or, you know, it's like professional and then goodbye and thanks for it. He was just sort of like, we're going for lunch over the road feed. Do you want to come for a cup of tea? Or, you know, we all went and had, and I actually, I stayed and packed up the mics with the assistants kind of thing. And then when I finished, I left the church and they were still in the cafe opposite. And he was like, Vinny, come over. You know, <laughs> just like went and had a sit down. And then there are people walking past that are like, sorry, are you Paul Weller, can we have a photo? And he's just like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, it's just like such a nice man. Oh, as nice. well as talented. It's not yes. fair, really, is it? <laughs> that is annoying, isn't it? Right, let's all fat pop. Uh, so here we yes. are, another number one album. This is on Orange Vinyl. What a beautiful thing this is. Oh, wow. I lo- love this. I don't have the vinyl of that one. Oh, look at that. Gorgeous. Look at that. Nice. Terrific. But this is a different thing entirely because the idea was On Sunset would come out, Mr. Weller would do a massive tour as he usually does on On Sunset, mm-hmm. and then at some point we'd move on to the next album. Obviously, COVID hit, and presumably in your world, you mentioned about kind of, you know, getting people in a studio and recording um, or in the church or air studios were recording these big mm. orchestras and things. Suddenly, and at that point, you, you've gone freelance as well, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, the, so your entire world is this. And then suddenly that world just almost stops or changes completely overnight in terms of how you can get people together, social distancing, recording, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, obviously it's so weird for everyone, but going from sort of assistant air where you, do a lot of hours assistant at any studio you can imagine you're working weekends you're working nights you're working a lot of hours and then I went freelance and obviously kind of pushed (laughs) to get myself going and then all of a sudden the bottom fell away from all of us didn't it and you're like I've never not worked for this long before it was really weird but we were super lucky because I guess it was June that year when studios opened up again with very strict social distancing and limits on capacity and, you know, all these new rules that the big studios kind of had to agree with the MU, kind of make up. And we're right. very lucky for all the people that did that and were involved in those conversations, you know, but it enabled us to reopen for recording because it's not something you can do at home. Yes. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> You're having to write the rules together of landing liaise with the government or the union to go, this is yes, what's going to happen. Yeah. Right? And the government to say, yeah, how can we do this? How can we do this safely? Um, and we came up, you know, with the sort of originally two or three meter distancing that reduced over, you know, months and months as COVID changed. Only being allowed, say, three people in the control room. So most clients were listening in on audio movers and communicating via Zoom and a very strict cleaning down of everything at the end of the night. And then these UV cleaners that were installed in all the studio, you know, it was crazy, actually, that that was not that long ago. So yes, then Fatfort was done in a socially distanced way. And it was like learning again how to record, because especially for orchestral recording, you used to rely a lot on your room mics having a good image because the kind of players are all gathered around this central point. And now they're all massively spread out. So everything becomes more roomy, less defined. There were at first sort of issues with players tuning to each other because they were sat 
physically so far apart or timing because you might be so far away from someone else that you can't lock in like you normally do as a unit. So it was weird. And presumably there are occasions where you can't get that many people in the room that you would normally like the actual full orchestra in the room as well. Yes. And that became the thing. You were limited on amount of humans that you could have regardless of budget, you know. Goodness me. It was like, how many people can you fit at a 2.5 meter distance? And how are you, um, are, you so, are you marking it out with sticky tape of where people can stand in that? Yeah, we literally were there with the measuring tape and uh, we got sort of plans. So for this, we got a plan, a floor plan from the church. And then I worked with the orchestra kind of manager to work out where everyone could sit and, you know, measured it out to scale. <laughs> and we made, you know, suggestions of like, okay, well, if we put this person here and I think we can fat many violas in like this, you know. So there was a lot of back and forth beforehand. And then mics wise, you end up doing it differently, as I say, because basically I use more mics, <laughs> more close mics to kind of counter the fact that everyone was really far apart and the room mics wouldn't be quite so useful. And you needed more like a mid pickup to kind of reach the people at the back that normally you'd be able to hear clearly on the rooms and that kind of thing. So. Yeah, the difference yeah. of them being packed together and spaced out in terms of the and sound. And they're really the spaced out. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of lovely in lots of ways. And there were some projects that we did over that time that people were like, oh, I actually prefer this. <laughs> <laughs> but the musicians didn't like it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they didn't, yeah. They wanted to be packed. You know, <laughs> now, this album, so Paul, uh, like I say, on Sunset, the tour and all that gets gets cancelled. Paul immediately, mm. his reaction is to just go back into right, writing. Music. Right, the music's what he does, right? It's what he does. Yeah. So another album comes around. And um, so he was like sending little bits to his band members. They were sending bits back remotely and stuff. But there obviously becomes yeah. a window of opportunity where you can get into the studio and do this. So this is between lockdown, like proper lockdowns, presumably. Yes, exactly. Yeah. When things are back open, but yeah, still socially distanced, as I say. And, and what's it like on Sunset where most of the tracks of, of pretty much fully formed or you know that you're aware of how the song is going to go and you're layering on top again yeah exactly i mean i'm sure there were sort of adjustments afterwards but you had a really good base for what the track's going to be and how we're going to fit into it and again hannah peel involved so i mean you, you obviously did something on the right on the first time power orchestra of the orchestra yeah. again and there are um there are three tracks and again you might not remember the, the specifics about the tracks but i want to mention them because they are lovely there's a song called glad times which mm. is um tom doyle who's who created the track with paul he arranged the strings with hannah actually um been on the podcast i should also mention ants as part of that as well they're called white label you should check out their new album i should say that as well it's brilliant Back to the Fat Pop album, there's another song that you worked on called That Pleasure, which is the reaction to Black Lives Matter, the death of um, George Floyd. And then a, a lovely song called Still Glides the Stream, which was created with Mr. Craddock, Steve Craddock. Were any of these people in the studio again with you, or is it just you, Stan, Weller and Hannah? No, and that is the unfortunate thing, again, because actually of COVID in that, well, there's two things actually about the church. One is that you are in the same room as the musicians. So there isn't a separate control room at the church. Oh. The desk is in the main room. And so everyone has to listen while the tape's going down on headphones. And also, you can't move or chat or blow nose or <laughs> even squeak your chair because everyone will hear you. And so the sad thing about that is that you do kind of say, well, we can't have too many people come down and hang out because there isn't the room and also it'll be noisy. But in COVID times, it was even worse because it was like you're only allowed the minimum amount of people to come and listen, which is a shame. Because a part of the, the creation of an album with bands and all that is the bands and it's the it's the yeah. camaraderie and all that, right? Yeah. And I'm sure if it's not something you see every day, especially like they would have loved to come and hang and see it. 
Um, but for us, it felt like the gang was back together. It was such a nice day, uh, just seeing everyone. And again, I remember Paul coming in and just going for a big hug. And at that time, everyone was being weird about, you know, elbows and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I was just like, Oh, you're hugging. Good. And he was like, Oh, sorry. I should have checked. Ah, it's a minefield now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were all like, nobody's hugged me for six months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like seeing everyone again was like going back to school. I don't know. It was just such a nice, like, yay, Hannah's here and Stan's here. You know, we're all together. Let's do this. Like we know, know where we are. We know what we're doing and everyone's relaxed and knows their role. And it's just like so lovely and obviously great, great music. So. What was the vibe in terms of the sound this time around? Was it different in terms of what they wanted from you? Because you mentioned the kind of brief last time and and, and how that, the expectation of the sound. Obviously, you're playing with COVID as well, but Mm. the sound of the album is an evolution. It's a step on again. Every track is so different in terms of the sound of it, isn't it? So what what was the ask from you? Yeah, I think that I just tried to give them different options, really, things that they could play with in the mix, as I say, being able to get a kind of really close sound if they wanted to, or being able to go more classical, you know, I remember still guys thinking, oh, it'd be lovely being more roomy and like with reverbs and delays. And, you know, I'm always trying to predict what someone will want to do in the mix and what they'll need. And quite often that translates as options. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Give them lots of things. A yeah. lot of people have talked about Mr. Weller and this ability to hear things that maybe other artists can't and don't or don't mention. These, these kind of, um, was it somebody talks about brushstrokes on an album? The little... Mm additions of small things that layer it up and layer it up and layer it up oh yeah did dot say that i think she said it. a few people have said it yeah yeah we're always talking about this sort of like sonic painting and sometimes it's like slowly layering up and sometimes dot's like throw everything at it and then we scrape it away it's like a different oh you know go at it from a different angle of like we're trying everything and then we're scraping away and shaping it like sculpting it's interesting though is it because it's also i guess this is true of any any piece of creativity but there's an element where in, in a multiverse there are alternative versions of all those tracks there where you scraped away less or you added more or whatever um yeah and, absolutely. And, but we never get to hear those but you lot all get to hear those which is really bloody annoying <laughs> damn you <laughs> i should say fat pop was also number one right so congratulations to all of you for that this, that was a fabulous That's amazing thing. Now, I've heard that Mr. Weller is working on a triple album now, but this was like a little interview he did in one of the magazines. He said, that's what's next. One of the few things he hasn't properly Ooh. done is a, like a triple studio album. Have you had any connection on, on what's coming next? Have you connected with Mr. Weller on anything since? No, not yet. And I have to say that is quite standard for me, that um, things are quite last minute. Oh. <laughs> Just generally. Yeah. So I wouldn't expect to, of course. Well, also, like you say, it's like your bit is coming at the end when a lot of the tracks are, you're adding those layers um, later on. Exactly. Because for Hannah or whoever's doing the arrangements, it's so important to have the track down and especially the vocal to understand, you know, what you're working around and and balancing against. Hannah's so brilliant at kind of finding these little melodic things in the, the melody that not necessarily like exactly the hook but she'll find a little thing that he's done and then weave that into the string you know all that kind of thing and so that's only possible of course if the track's pretty much there yeah and i guess also getting that many people together in a room the orchestra is that's not a cheap thing so you don't want to do it track by track as you go through two years making an album do you no exactly it's always right 
we're ready now. We do all the strings on one day. And obviously we'll keep an ear out for whatever comes next from Mr. Weller in that regard. And hopefully you and Hannah will be involved. I mean, Hannah, I saw her live the other week. Absolutely fantastic. Such a talent. And the two of you, I mean, you're so productive. The amount of projects you have, all these plates spinning at the same time is incredible. Me and Hannah are always like, just make sure I have a break. Like we're always telling each other off. <laughs> And they're not doing it ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mentioned we talk about um, roles, studio roles, right? So yes. I'm going to talk through some of the things. And I want, I'm going to put these in the show notes of the podcast because I want people to look these things up as well, right? So there is you mm. as a producer, engineer, and mixer. So we're yeah. talking about albums like Keaton Henson, who we're going to come back to in a sec. And Dot Allison, I mentioned earlier on as well, has been on the podcast, another fabulous talent, co-produced her album, Heart Shaped Scars. And actually this coming Friday, brand new album released, Consciousology. Also Hannah Peel involved in that one and you're involved in that one again as co-producer, right? Then we have you as a score engineer and mixer. So things yes. like F Phantom of the Opera, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse as well, which we should <laughs> mention because um, the cartoon, like, was, was this Christmas just gone? I'm trying to remember now, but won an Oscar as well, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. Amazing. So what's um, your role on as a score engineer? Talk me through what your role as a mixer, the, the difference between working with Weller on that fat pot on Sunset Projects and doing that job. I suppose the difference is that quite often with film stuff, I am booked directly by the composer or the artist, which I am in the pop world as well. But um, yeah, so they, they come to me and say, do you want to record this with me? They describe the sort of sound they want. I suppose like they're producing it as well as composing it. And then you kind of co-produce it, but that there isn't, that title isn't often used in film. Is it not? Okay. Um, interestingly, I don't know why. Yes. Yeah, so then I'm in charge of deciding how to record it and actually engineering it on the day and then probably mixing it as well, usually in surround. And then the music gets sent off to the final mix and it's mixed in with the dialogue and effects. Of course, because yeah, again, the sound and what we hear is a different. Although Mr. Weller has dabbled a bit with 5.1 and the stereo sound yes. on, on, um, on but that's not a thing really on most albums these days, although becoming more so with like Atmos and things like that. But you know, for, yeah, creating exactly. for film, you're obviously creating for that whole experience of being in a cinema, aren't you? Exactly that. Yeah. Uh, so you're always thinking in, in surround <laughs> rather than stereo. That's not something you can do at home. Well, yeah, you were. You were editing these things at home sometimes during COVID. So how are you, how are you doing that type of thing at home? Uh, well, yes, I, I have my own surround mix studio. I edit at home because I'll do that on just on headphones or on stereo speakers and then kind of mix it in surround. So score editing is slightly different again in that usually someone else is mixing it. And I'm bringing recordings from, so let's say like The Little Mermaid. We've got recordings of like the orchestra from Air. And then we've got a band that was recorded at British Grove. And we've got steel pans that we did in another room. And we've got the actors singing. And so it's like lots of different elements from lots of different places, all of them playing to click. But when you actually go through, not necessarily quite locked in. And you don't want to make it sound too sort of on the grid and metronomic. You want to sort of pick some like the bass of the band, as in bass, drums, guitars, or whatever it may be, to be the sort of basis and the groove of the track and then make sure that everything else works with them. So then, then that's sort of like preparing it and making it sound as groovy and as good as it can do before the mix. Right. I was going to ask you about that was one of the things I was going to ask you about the score editing side of things because Mary Poppins Returns was another one and getting to yes, work with like, exactly. people like Mark Shaman for goodness sake. I mean, <laughs> yeah, who is just incredible and again, so lovely. Yeah, it's amazing because that process means sort of quite often sitting with a composer and him going, I don't like that vocal taker. I don't like 
that thing that they did. And he'll often be explaining to me as well with orchestral tapes. Have you got another one where you can hear more of the bassoon there? And he'll sort of point at the picture and go, look, it's hitting the little dog running, you know, and you get all these sort of lessons in how their brain works. (laughs) (laughs) And I I find that so fascinating about creatives generally, whether it's a musician, a singer, songwriter, people like Paul or a filmmaker, Mm. they are coming at life from just a different angle, aren't they? Yeah. In film, everything is, of course, trying to make brilliant music, but it's also all about how it supports the image and how it makes you feel in relation to that. So, of course, everything's about feeling, but you know, it's so much more instinctive, like, am I feeling what the character's feeling? Is it doing that job? Is it leading me in that direction? And such a collaborative process, it has to be, because the director's not able to, most directors are not able to compose their own music in their own films and things like that, are they? Yeah, so. exactly. So directors and producers come to the sessions as well. And uh, we'll sort of say, oh, that's quite good, but I want it to be more scary when this thing happens or, you know, I want to feel this moment more. And then the composer will be making changes or I might make some suggestions that the musicians can change something to have that impact. Now, I've got to ask you before we go what you're working on at the moment, because you are busier than ever. Is there anything, <laughs> is there anything you can tell us about that that isn't embargoed or isn't kind of undercover on what you're up to right now? It's a good Question. Um, I'm working on a couple of series for Disney Plus. It's okay if I don't, <laughs> I don't yeah. know if I can say what they are. No, but, no, um, that's fair enough. But let me watch your expression as I mention some of these possibilities. Maybe Marvel, no, Star Wars. <laughs> no, yeah, okay, uh, we'll continue. It's not, it's not that one, actually. They're both sort of family action adventure things and they're really good fun and quite different. And uh, I've also just done a film for Netflix and... A computer game, and I'm definitely not allowed to tell you which one. <laughs> a computer? Is that first? I've been working on a couple of games recently that haven't come out yet, and they're very much NDA'd. There'll come a time when you'll see me shouting about computer games all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably that's an entirely different process again in terms of how you work with the creators of those things, yeah? Absolutely, yes. I mean, there's just so much music, and a lot of it needs to be able to loop and layer and work together, and that process how they work out how it's all going to fit together just blows my mind and it's like four hours of gameplay or something you know yeah 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 exactly so and you need to then not get bored of the song the tune the music being played right yeah it's like it's coming around that often exactly that it needs to be sort of repetitive enough but not boring so it's really it's a hard balance. <laughs> uh, well, I look forward to that being added to your ridiculously impressive CV, Fiona, honestly. The, um, and it must be, I mean, getting the, you know, seeing these things come out and then, cause it takes a long time to make a movie and think, and an album often and things, mm. like, not in Paul's case with an album probably, but yeah, you know, these, some of these projects are like years in the yeah. making. So when you suddenly see a, a, a little mermaid going live in the world and getting the reaction that it did and those yeah. albums going live and that must be so rewarding. It's amazing. I mean, mermaid I went to see with a friend and their kids and it was the loveliest thing to see them reacting to it you know it made me very emotional and similarly when an album comes out you mentioned Keaton Henson and he's a great friend of mine and when when his album finally you know the, the pride and the um joy for for them for for Dot and for Keaton whoever's baby it is you know you feel like oh I've helped them get their music out there in the world and it's a great great feeling well, and again, I mean, I've got no talent in that space whatsoever, but so I'm always in awe that anybody goes into a studio with nothing in the morning, like I say, maybe some lyrics, <laughs> or, you know, and then at the end of it, we get this thing and we can listen to it and it, and it lives on forever. You know, those things are in the world yeah. forever. How cool is that? It's very cool. I mean, what a, what a cool gig you have. I should mention, I mean, I talk about recognition. It must have been lovely to get the recent awards as well. So we had the Music Tech Awards last year, Engineer of the Year. 
we had this well-deserved double win, Music Producer Guild Awards for Recording Engineer of the Year and Breakthrough Producer of the Year. Oh my gosh, that was just absolutely bonkers. I think <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. Uh, and actually, the awards arrived, the actual physical awards arrived this year, as in like the week of this year's awards. Oh, right. <laughs> so I didn't have the physical thing for like a whole year. And I was like, maybe that was a, that was just a dream. That was just like this crazy <laughs> night where lovely things happened. And then the physical award, I'm like, this actually happened. <laughs> I can't yeah. believe it. <laughs> yeah, they didn't follow it up. Yeah. I don't know whether I won that thing or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe that. Well, I'll just dread that. It's not true. <laughs> but it, yeah, what? Yeah, it was so, so lovely. And especially because it really feels like since going freelance, when you're an assistant at a studio, you're part of that family. You know, the air gang was so tight. And then you go out on your own and you're like, this is really scary. Now am I in sort of competition or mm. what? Because I'm not very good at that. And <laughs> But then to find that actually we're in this lovely, supportive community where we're all sort of appreciating each other's work and big each other up and you know, an awards thing like that, which is nominated for by your peers is, yeah, very special. <laughs> and I mentioned at the beginning how like 10, 12 years ago, when you first started, it was such a male dominated industry. Do you feel that has changed for the better? I mean, it's not, it's not where it needs yeah. to be, but it is getting better, right? Yeah, absolutely. And particularly even in the last five years, let's say, because when I first started, yeah, there were a few people ahead of me, but it was still very, very unusual. And now there's really cool things happening. Talking of which, tell me about this special issue that's coming up of Sound on Sound magazine. This sounds brilliant. Sound on Sound are doing an issue coming up where all the articles are written by women, producers and engineers. And there's going to be a lot of sort of gear reviews and also, I guess, stories about their work and how they got into the industry and that kind of thing. So it's really exciting. Oh, brilliant. Wow. Um, we sort of had a massive photo shoot at Rack the other day and Catherine Marks is is heading it up, incredible producer. And just being surrounded by the women and knowing that all of us are kind of, we're doing it. We're doing this job. It is possible to do this job. We're all here. You know, it was such a good vibe. It was really incredible and inspiring. And yeah. I love the idea. Do you know what I love about that most is the idea that somewhere there'll be a 13, 14 year old kid buying that magazine. Exactly. Cutting yeah, out those and I, sticking them on their bedroom wall, right? I was that 13 year old kid and the thought of seeing, you know, all these badass women in that issue is just like, it's so exciting to me. That's going to exist. Well, uh, this has been honestly such an absolute delight chatting to you. I have two final questions for you before you go. Yes. Okay? So you're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. It can be The Jam, The Style Council or Solo. What would you go with? You do something to me. Ah, why that one? I just, even talking about it, it like makes my whole body go. <laughs> I, I just think it's like such magic. And as soon as I hear it, I melt. Your face changed completely when when I asked yeah. you why you were like... It makes me emotional just thinking about it. It's yeah. like, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> what did you think? Because there was obviously... Sorry, is that a lame answer? Does no, everyone say that's that? a great answer. Just your reaction was wonderful. It was obviously... Um, it would have been... When would it have been? The round... He did the gig at the Barbican, didn't he? And um, they did yeah. with um, Jules Buckley and they did that with strings and stuff, but mm -hmm. which was just beautiful, right? Yeah. I'm such a fan <laughs> of Jules and I watched that concert in... Yeah in all and it's just yeah it's sort of like oof 
It does something to me. It does she's, something to me. She's gone, folks. We need to wrap up. She's gone. I say it. Final question. So, so the purpose of this podcast is to meet lovely people like yourself who've had these connections with Paul, to hear your stories and your connections, but to hear all about you, really. But I've got to be honest, the reason I created the podcast was for me to get an interview with Paul Weller that I never managed during my radio career. But that was yeah. my one big regret. I never got it to interview Weller. So I created a podcast to make it happen. We're now on episode 155. And it still hasn't happened, but you know, one day. So if it happens, (laughs) if it happens, what should I ask him? What would you like to know? Oh, God, that's tricky, isn't it? Okay. I would like to know what, if he could play any instrument that he can't play now, what would it be? That's a great question. You know, any instrument. Like if you could play any instrument, what would you play? Oh, well, I'd play the guitar because that's cool and, you know, but, um, but he can play the guitar. So what if he said the oboe? Well, you know, he can come around and I'll try and help him out. <laughs> maybe I'll bring it to his studio if it's acoustically treated. <laughs> Have you been to Blackburn? No, I haven't. Oh, I've seen lots on. of pictures and I know, I know, I need to make that happen. I've definitely been invited and it just hasn't happened yet, but, um, it will. Like your interview. We'll make it happen. Hey, look, this has been so lovely. Thank you so much. Good luck with whatever comes next. Look forward to seeing whatever comes next and all the stuff, the Disney thing. I'm going to look for all the credits, obviously, from here on in. Um, (laughs) And yeah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. That was lovely. Thank you. My thanks once again to Fiona Cruikshank for joining me on this podcast. You are going to listen to Fat Pop and On Sunset completely differently from here on in, right? Being transported to that magnificent church studios, imagining Hannah Peel, Stan Kybert, Paul Weller behind the mixing desk in the room with a para orchestra and fear the controls. Love it. Do check out the show notes for this podcast. You'll find loads of details on some of the things that we talked about on my website. PaulWellerFanPodcast.com is the place to go. Spread the word. Please do share this episode on your social media channels. It all helps us to find new listeners to the show. And I should say, once you're on my website as well, if you fancy it, you can dive into our store, get yourself some official podcast merchandise or a virtual coffee doing exactly that. Mike Steer. Hello, Mike. Hello to Ron, who says, great show and super guests. Thank you, Ron. Cheers to you for your virtual coffee. Hello to the 829 Club. Thanks for your support, as always. Hello to Jen. Hello to Jez Hawk, who says, grab yourself a proper frothy at Bar Italia and keep up the great work. Thank you, Jez, and thank you so much for your generosity, my friend. Hello to Stephen Cartwright. Hi, Stu Burns. Thank you to you as well. Hello, Jane, the jam tart with a heart. Hello, Jane. Hope you're well. Hello to Nick Keane. Hi, Nick. Hello, Roger Clark. Thanks to you for your virtual coffee. Hi also to Sean Wilson. Thanks, mate. Much appreciated. If you want to get involved next week, make sure you head to my website, paulwellerfanpodcast.com. Just head into the store there. And whilst you're on the website, make sure you sign up for the newsletter, you follow, you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts as well. On the very next step, Episode. We're going to be talking about merchandise, the jam, the style council, Paul Weller solo, and a massive, massive fan of all three. Make sure you join me. You can get in touch on Twitter at Weller Fan Pod or on Instagram, Facebook, and Threads. Just search for Paul Weller Fan Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.